Kansas City Chiefs really spoiled Christian McCaffrey's debut with the San Francisco 49ers. Somehow, someway, the New York Giants, the New York Jets, and the Seattle Seahawks are rolling this season. But let's kick off It's a Football podcast this week, talking about how disappointing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers are. How's it going, everybody? I'm Savid Dean, joined by Tyler Dragon. We're your NFL insiders from USA Today Sports. Tyler, I'm so disgusted by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and I cannot believe Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, man. I don't like betting against Aaron Rodgers. I'm betting against him every week for the rest of the year, Tyler. How are the Packers so bad? How are the Bucs so bad? Why are two of the best teams in the NFC barely getting by? And by the way, by the way, Tyler, they're so lucky the Rams got off last week. The Rams are so lucky they had a bye week. Man, what disappointments. Let's start off with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Only mm-hmm. three points against a rebuilding Panthers team. The Panthers are awful. They are awful. terrible They're football so bad. Team. Without Christian McCaffrey. Now, their defense plays hard. I do give them that. But they made P.J. Walker um, look like he was the MVP Cam Newton of old. last week it was just a terrible performance and you can say you know the Mike Evans dropped would be touchdown you can say the defense was giving up a lot of yards on the ground and through Mm -hmm. the air it was just a terrible performance a lifeless performance really uh, by the Bucks Tom Brady he obviously has a lot of things going on but the entire roster is playing like they're uninspired and disinterested in football. Uh, regarding the Packers, I think it's more of a scheme thing and also a performance thing because their receivers can't separate from coverage. Um, and so they have to scheme up better plays for them to be able to you know, make plays out there. And then also the defense. The Packers calling card was supposed to be their defense, especially when they traded Devontae Adams away to the Raiders. And their defense has underperformed this season. Uh, Whether that's the defensive line or the secondary, they have not come to play. And that's why the Packers find themselves below 500 as well. So both were Super Bowl contenders entering this season, but both of these teams look like they might not even make the playoffs with the way they're performing. Now, I'm not going to ring the alarm yet, though, stop it. There's still a lot of football left to be played. But both these teams need a team players-only meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much is that going to help. And it's crazy because the 49ers just picked up McCaffrey, and they're 3-4. and The Bucs are 3-4. and The Packers are 3-4. and and the only teams that are really in the playoff mix is the, is the Buccaneers because the rest of the NFC South is just hot garbage too, right? Um, look at all the teams with better records this year in the NFC. Eagles, 6-0. and Vikings, 5-1. and The Seahawks, 4-3. and Did I forget the Giants are 6-1? and And the Dallas Cowboys are 5-2 and after we've written them off after week one. Um, it's a really bad showing here for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Um, and it's a really bad showing here for Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, too. You know, both these quarterbacks signed new deals in the offseason. Um, and Brady obviously came back after 40 days of retiring. Um, I, I think if he knew what this would be like uh, before it happened, he would have stayed retired. <laughs> he would have stayed retired and probably stayed, you know, happily married, too. Uh, excuse me, Tom Brady. I didn't mean to talk about that. Anyways, the Bucks, Tyler, I'm just, uh, you know, they have the talent. Mike Evans is still there. Leonard Fournette is still a, a bell cow. Chris Godwin's coming back from the knee, and, and Russell Gage and Julio Jones are working from injury. They have a defense there. It's just do all those guys want to play for Todd Bowles um, like they did for Bruce Arians? There, there seems to be a little missing voice there. It seems to be a little substitute teacher kind of thing where you're supposed to act the same way, but you're used to a certain way with the new teacher, and I'm not sure if that's going to really carry the bucks for the rest of this year. And for the Packers, man, Aaron Rodgers is like 36, 37. He's throwing to guys 10, 12, 15 years younger than him. <laughs> um, but the, the Packers went with receivers who were young rookies instead of finding guys with experience. Um, you know, and, and then even the guys with experience are a little bit too old now and don't have the all-world strength and skill that Devontae Adams had this year. So it's midseason, but both these teams are in trouble. And did I mention the Rams are lucky they had off last week? 
<laughs> well, the Rams sure don't have a week off this week when they go up against the 49ers squad that's won seven straight regular season games against them. But uh, to your point, I will say the Bucks, their offensive line, especially the interior of their offensive line, is below average. They have been getting beat a lot this year, and that's one of the reasons behind Tom Brady's struggles. And the defense has underperformed just like the Packers' defense. Todd Bowles is a defensive-minded head coach uh, in that defense, which is playing a lot of their players that were in the Super Bowl, minus, you know, Ndamukong Sue and a couple other players. But you expect them to perform at a higher level and to be able to help them win games, but they haven't. And the Packers, I really don't like how Aaron Rodgers called out his teammates. He's thrown them under the bus a couple times. And yes, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, arguably the best quarterback in football right now. But it's not like he's playing really good football either. I mean, he's underperforming as well. And for him to call out his teammates, I thought that should have been handled behind closed doors. Yes, you can call them out in team meetings and and in practice, but to go on a podcast and TV and call out your teammates. Come on. You should be a better leader than that. Ooh, Tyler Dragon calling out Aaron Rodgers for yeah. his leadership. Yeah. On, it's a I don't football like betting podcast. against Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm going to have to bet against Aaron Rodgers every week for the rest of this year, man. You know how much, money people, you know how much money people lost this weekend because they picked Tom Brady in the, in the Bucks over the Panthers and probably parlayed it with the Green Bay Packers over Washington, and they both lost? And they both lost. I'm not one of those people. I'm not speaking from experience. I just want everybody to know for the record. I'm just talking about some other people that could have lost a lot of money this week. I think you lost some money, Southfield. I I, I see it. I see it in your face. I think you lost some money. No, 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 I don't bet on NFL games. Oh, okay. Don't do it. Okay, Calvin Ridley. (laughs) Shout out to Calvin Ridley. You know who the Packers need? Calvin Ridley to come through and help out, man. Yeah. <laughs> they need to get that guy back, bro. Just so many people have had fewer suspensions, fewer games for suspension than Calvin really was out for the whole season. But Tyler, let's move on to another big story that happened on Monday night. And the New England Patriots have a little bit of a quarterback controversy. Now, first of all, I don't know why we care about the New England Patriots. I'm so sorry to our colleague Richard Morin at USA Today Sports Plus. And he actually wrote uh, a pretty decent column on on the fact that Bill Belichick has been so coy in examining this and commenting to the media about how he feels about both Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, uh, the third-string quarterback who came out and just essentially stole the job. Um, Tyler, the Pats are 3-4. and four. They had a really bad loss against the Bears on Monday night at home. And this is after they went on the road and had some really good wins with Bailey Zappi as well. Um, but Bill Belichick is classic Bill Belichick fashion, not saying too much, being too coy. And I think the biggest statement that came out of uh, the Patriots locker room was from receiver Jacoby Myers when he said, not even as a football player, it's tough as a man to see somebody who works so hard get that kind of treatment. And he's speaking about Mac Jones losing his job on Monday Night Football. Tyler, what's your assessment of all this, man? So, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they're known for keeping things in-house, real tight-lipped, real secretive. But this year, it has a feeling like things are kind of unorganized in New England. You don't know really who the offensive coordinator is, who the play caller is. It's Matt Patricia. We, we, we know that, but it's, it's, there's a gray area. You feel me? And then even defense coordinator. We know Bill Belichick really handles the defense, but there's a whole lot of gray area with the New England Patriots. And then that Monday mm-hmm. night game, it really shed light into that because then Mac Jones, yes, he was underperforming. He did not play good. They yanked him a little bit too quick, in my opinion, after one interception. Bailey Zappi comes in. He has two really good drives, and you think, oh, the Patriots found their next Tom Brady. He's going to be the best thing ever in uh, New England since Tom Brady. And then reality sets in. (laughs) And then he looks like a rookie quarterback that is in over his head. And mm-hmm. now the Patriots find themselves in a little mm-hmm. bit of a quarterback controversy because you already pulled the plug on Mac Jones too quick. And yep. then Bailey Zappi 
showed you who Bailey Zappi is, which is an okay quarterback. He can have his moments, but yeah. he's not ready to start right now. So overall, I do think the Patriots will go back to Mac Jones, but it just has a feeling in New England like they are disorganized and they really don't know um, how to handle certain situations because, I mean, they, they're in between rebuilding and trying to be a playoff contender. And that's yep. really a place you really don't want to be as an organization, especially when you have a lot of players on your roster that you really don't know uh, how they're going to perform and if you can rely on them, not only in the present, but in the future, if you can build around them. And that just even goes for the quarterback position, which is the most important position. Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, who are you going to go with? Now, I do think they're going to stick with Mac Jones, but the Patriots, they really have to figure out how they're going to move forward in this post-Tom Brady era because they really haven't figured it out right now. They have no identity on offense since Tom Brady left the building. You're right, Tyler. Look, Bill Belichick has already had his first losing season. That was during 2020, so that was Brady's first year gone. Um, they were 7-9. and nine. Last year, they were 10-7 and seven and got all the way to the playoffs where they lost to the Bills in the AFC title game. Mac Jones was playing good enough then, right? Um, I think teams have figured out Mac Jones. I think teams have figured out the Patriots. And I've seen this kind of disorganization before uh, here in Miami under Brian Flores, who was doing the same thing with offensive coordinators, having guys who shouldn't be calling offensive plays, calling offensive plays. Then when people are looking to blame the guy calling offensive plays, you hide who's calling it because you don't want that person to have criticism with doing the NFL job, right? And then there's the coyness of everything. You know, you're not going to say if an injured player is going to play this week. You're not going to say who's going to start a quarterback this week. You're really thinking everything that you're doing publicly is going to be seen or heard by the opposing team before they play you. And you're trying to keep it all under the vest before Sunday. And you're hoping that if I don't tell my quarterback on Friday or if I don't say it out loud, you know, the team's going to have to prepare for both guys. Oh, man, it's going to make the preparation harder. And really, it's not too hard to kind of unfold here, man. Matt Patricia shouldn't be calling offensive plays. Um, Bill Belichick needs a little bit more organization, like you said. He needs to figure out his coaching staff. You know, there's too many people. He's got two of his sons, got two former coaches. There's really no outside blood. There's no new energy. There's no new thoughts. Everybody's just a bunch of yes men to Bill Belichick, and deservedly so. But um, Belichick can only coach that team as well as he can for so long. And I think he's kind of hitting a wall here with these quarterback situation because when you go from having the greatest quarterback of all time to everybody else, it's it's a very, very different thing. And Bill Belichick and the Patriots are going to learn that lesson the hard way, it seems, this season. Man, did I just land that sticking point right there or what? Yeah, I have nothing to add after that. <laughs> <laughs> the Patriots are a terrible football team. I know we spoke a little bit about the Buccaneers, Tyler, but I just wanted to go back to this really quirky story that we saw this week. Uh, Mike Evans, star receiver for the Bucks, after a 21-3 loss to the Carolina Panthers in Carolina, was called by two NFL referees as he's heading to the locker room and asked to sign a piece of paper or a piece of something out of the referee's pocket and Mike, you know, just, okay, you know, just willfully obliged, no problem, signed it, but there was a reporter in the tunnel, and there was video in the tunnel of two referees getting what looked like, what looked like an autograph from a player after a game. Now, Tyler, I would have a little problem with this if it was a game the Bucks won, but they lost. They lost the game. <laughs> I just can't believe this happened where we're having referees asking players for autographs, and not even that, the NFL said none of that happened. Yeah, you know, I wish that a referee would have thrown a defensive pass interference when Mike Evans dropped that would-be touchdown pass. <laughs> I know, it would have helped out the game, right? It made it, we would be talking about the Patriots, so much, I mean, the Buccaneers so much differently. Right, now. right. But in, in, in fairness, NFL Network did report that the referee approached Mike Evans to exchange contact information because uh, they know a golf coach. And so 
Mike Evans, Mike Evans wanted some golf tips. And so that's, golf. Yes. So that's why they exchange contact information so he can give it to the golf coach to help Mike Evans in his golf game. Now, that's what NFL Network was reporting. I cannot confirm that. That don't seem like a report. Now, that seems like a little playful, a now, very, it, very it playful is, It is thing. a bad look. It is a bad look. Now, uh, to your point, though, the Bucks did lose, and it's not like Mike Evans got any favorable calls. So th- that, <laughs> that is good. That does the NFL dodged a bullet there because if Mike Evans had a whole lot of uh, – pass interference go his way and all these penalties uh defensive holding calls go his way it would have been looking real suspects of it mm-hmm. and now we got to look out to see if these refs are going to be covering any bucks games this year right or any nfc south games if they cover the saints the saints don't get a call who knows right <laughs> um this is a bad this is a horribly bad look yeah. um and the refs, it's not like they see anybody standing there with the with the phone that can record them, not knowing anything. I don't know. Mike Evans said it was about golf. It seems like the really playful thing to say after the fact, but the NFL said in a statement the interaction did not result in a in, a, in, a, in an autograph, um, and all the referees were reminded of the proper protocols to have during games. Um, this is just so ugly for for the league, Tyler. So ugly especially for the NFL to come out with a statement and say it's not an autograph when we see a piece of paper being signed here. Like, you know, I just – the NFL just does – this is another, like, thing where we, where we saw this in the, the Dolphins report about Steve Ross and the tampering, and God forbid we see what's in the Washington Workplace Report and what the NFL finds from that, and now we have to take that as word is bond, right? Afterwards, mm-hmm. like, is there really transparency here or is just cover-up after cover-up after cover-up here? Like, what's really going on? It's not a good look if a referee's asking for, for uh, uh, an autograph. <laughs> and it's not a good look if a ref makes a call the right way or the wrong way, man. All right, joining us on It's a Football Podcast is Nate Davis. He's our colleague at USA Today, one of our several many NFL reporters. Nate, how's it going on your side of the world, man? All right, Safed, how are things in Florida? I'm doing good. We're doing good. I saw your Bears got a nice win over the Patriots the other night. I think uh, I think we're gonna be batting this Bears thing back and forth off. You're the guy that likes to pick them, but uh, I, I wish I picked them. I wish I picked them Monday. I tell you that. <laughs> so Nate Davis controls all of our picks that we make each and every week, from Tyler to Jared Bell, Chris Mubaka, Lorenzo Reyes, Nate, myself. We all get into the mix here every week. Uh, we like to go back and forth and banter. Always my favorite when there's one of us that picks a team that nobody else picks. I should I should mention too, Safa, that I'm I'm way out ahead of the rest of you. So I don't, I don't you guys can <laughs> you guys can send me some banner, but you know I we're not you're not worried about us. I'm not picks, worried about huh? you guys. Yeah, awesome, uh, Nate. Let's get into some talk about the trade deadline. Uh, we've seen some moves already made so far this season. The trade deadline's coming up in about a week. Um, so let's get through the big. Uh, heavyweight uh, trade that we saw happen with Christian McCaffrey leaving Carolina to go to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Kyle Shanahan had McCaffrey suit up and, and play against the Chiefs on, on uh, last week, and it wasn't a great showing by the 49ers uh, going up against the all-world Chiefs. But uh, what do you think, Nate, the, the McCaffrey deal really does for the 49ers for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, to me, it makes them the favorites uh, in, in the NFC West. Uh, you know, it was an aggressive move. You know, I thought that they were a team that should should have been in the market for them. Um, and and I, I applaud them for making the move. And I mean, they, they gave up, you know, a fair amount. But the fact that they didn't have to give up a first rounder, I think I think is a win for them. Uh, and I'm really curious to see, you know, Kyle Shanahan, who, who kind of knows him, you know, because both their bad dads were, were in Denver back in the Super Bowl days when, when Kyle's dad, Mike, was the coach. And uh, Ed McCaffrey, you know, uh, 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 Christian's dad was a receiver there. Um, but I, I'm curious to see what, how he deploys him as a weapon. Because, I mean, Kyle Shanahan has always, you know, had that offense humming with with guys. You know, Matt, Matt Breida and, and uh, Carlos Hyde and uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Wilson. You know, certainly nobody you would call even a Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl back. So, so what do you do when you get a guy like that in? Um, and I think it also helps, you know, somebody like Debo Samuel, who, you know, whether he wants to admit it or not, you know, seemed like, he was getting a little tired of all the wear and tear from, from, from running between the tackles and, and, you know, being more of a traditional back in some, some sets last year. So I think that could go away to a little bit. Um, but I think McCaffrey just expands the field vertically, 
horizontally, however you want to say it, with those other guys. Uh, and, and I'm really curious the, the creative uses they use for him. Um, and I think it'll also be great for Jimmy Garoppolo for obvious reasons, uh, but but also because they didn't really have a, a great receiving back out of the backfield there. I don't think anybody, uh, you know, Kyle Juszczyk or any of the backs had more than eight catches coming out of the backfield for that team. So that's a big help, I think, for Garoppolo. Um, and yeah, it's a long way of saying I think that they're the team to beat in the NFC West. And I think that this could make them maybe the the – Super Bowl favorite in the NFC once this all comes together. Yeah, Nate, you bring up something that I hadn't really thought about as we saw Debo Samuel flex all of his muscle negotiate for a new contract this offseason, said he didn't want to play running back again. Well, now the 49ers have a running back, and uh, it's going to hurt his negotiations if he wanted to go back to the table. But, you know, I agree with you. When the McCaffrey trade happened, I kind of said this. I said, um, you know, the 49ers, they're up there with the Eagles now as the best in the NFC. And it just so happens this is a season where – the defending champion Rams, uh, the former champion Buccaneers, and then Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are all having down seasons so far as we start this year off. You know, they're all kind of teetering on 500 right now. Each of those teams has their own respective problems. And for the 49ers to go out and make this trade and boost their offense like this, you mentioned Garoppolo, you mentioned Debo, um, Jeff Wilson Jr., you got Brandon Ayuk as well. Um, and let's not forget George Kittle when he gets into the mix. Um, this is a very, very formidable offense in San Francisco. And let's not forget they haven't had Trent Williams for a few weeks. He's going to come back and, you know, running Christian McCaffrey behind that wall of a man. I mean, you know, it, it could get scary. Yeah, it could definitely get scary for San Francisco. Um, one trade that I was really, really happy to see um, for Robert Saleh and the New York Jets is for them to go uh, talk to Jacksonville and get James Robinson for a late-round pick. Uh, Nate, this deal to me signals a lot of things for the Jets – we see them. They're at the top of the standings right now. They're five and two, so ahead of the Dolphins and behind the Bills in the AFC East. But I mean, to, for the Jets to be five and two in the second year of their rebuild, I don't think Robert Salah thought there would be that that uh, uh, far along this season. Joe Douglas, the GM, didn't think so. Maybe as well. Um, and with Brees Hall going down, their star rookie running back, getting a running back like James Robinson, who saw his usage go down in Jacksonville, th- thanks to uh, Travis Etienne. I think it's a deal for the Jets to try to stay in the mix and try to compete this season. Yeah, I guess uh, Robert Saul is going to have to get some receipts from you, Soffin. Uh, um, but, you know, I think I think to your point, yeah, I think I think the main thing it, it says to the Jets players is that, you know, we believe in this team uh, and we think you're, you're, you're good enough uh, to make the playoffs. And, you know, I don't think anyone expects James Robinson to come in and re- replicate what, what Brees Hall was doing in his rookie year. But, um, but by the same token, I mean – you got to feel better about your backfield situation, knowing that you have an established guy like that. Uh, he's going to be a restricted free agent after the season, so the Jets will have the option to keep him beyond this year, you know, contractual control if they want to. Um, to, to me, the one thing that kind of gets lost in the mix is that they also lost uh, Elijah or Tucker, Tucker, who could play anywhere on the line for them, from pretty much anywhere from from side to side except center. Um, he, he's out with the triceps injury, so hopefully they can get by, you know, without him. But uh, like, like you said, I mean, the Jets are playing really well. That that talent is, is, is starting to come to, to fruition there. Um, I think to a certain degree, I mean, they've caught a lot of teams. You know, Russell Wilson was was out. Uh, they, they caught the Browns without without Deshaun Watson. They caught the Dolphins without Tua. So there's, there's a little bit of luck involved here for me. But, um, again, you can't deny what you're seeing from that defense. Uh, I'd like to see more from Zach Wilson, although I feel like they're really kind of keeping the reins on him to some degree. But I'd like to see – Garrett Wilson, and, and frankly, Elijah Moore, who, who we know kind of complained about his role last week despite the winning streak. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't mind seeing those guys get involved a little more, but I think I think they're just trying to take it slow with Zach Wilson right now. But, yeah. you know, if you're a Jets fan, you know, as bad as they've been for as long as they've been, you, you got to be pretty encouraged. And if you're a Jets player, you know, as well also. So I want to get into your piece here, the 20 players to keep an eye on heading into the Tuesday NFL trade deadline on usatoday.com. But there's one thing I noticed on this list here. And it kind of leads me to a point I wanted to make in our conversation, Nate. There are some teams here that should be sellers at the trade deadline. And so far, you got three Denver Broncos on your list. Uh, we got the Broncos at two and five. Uh, they're heading over to London. And um, it doesn't look good for Nathaniel Hackett, the first-year coach, or Russell Wilson uh, this season. Uh, there's a reason you listed three Broncos on this list, Nate. Uh, what, what, give us your little insight into why you did that. Well, it does seem like they're one of the few teams that, that might be in sell mode. And, and that, that is the interesting thing about this trade line soft is that the league is, you know, a league that loves parity, you know, parity is, is, is there in force this year. 
and I think the, bit, yes. I think the only team that's, that's like three wins out of a playoff spot right now is Houston. Uh, the entire NFC, you know, is, with, is within two games of a playoff spot, including including Detroit. But uh, I, I think we do have some idea of who's going to be there at the end and, and who's not. Uh, and you mentioned Denver, and it does it's not going well there. Like like you said, I mean, it's, it's two and five, and frankly, they're probably lucky to be two and five. Uh, but you, you look at some of these guys, you know, Melvin Gordon, you know, you, you kind of would have thought Javante Williams hurt, that he would kind of move into that lead back role. They continue stockpiling backs. He continues to lose playing time. He's had fumbling issues, but we, we know what he can be. So I think for a guy like that, you know, you'd be willing to move him on to get something back for next year. Uh, Bradley Chubb uh, is another one. Uh, and, you know, normally you would say you wouldn't, you wouldn't let a pass rusher of his caliber go, uh, but he is going into free agency. Um, and, you know, the, the Broncos kind of got back into the mix with Von Miller, you know, this year after renting him out to the Rams. Um, obviously, didn't get him back, but you can always trade Bradley Chubb, try to get him back later. Um, there's also going to be several other good pass rushers on the market next year. But, I mean, he's a guy that could probably give you a pretty decent return. Um, you think Von Miller bringing the two and the three for, for basically eight games. Um, and I think the other one I had was K.J. Hamler. And it just doesn't seem like they're using K.J. Hamler. As well, uh, you know, he's got a year left on his rookie contract. Um, you can tell, I think it was the game that they lost to the Colts where he was clearly frustrated with, with Russell Wilson and, and his lack of use. And I, th- I think he's got yeah. 11 targets, you know, to this point in the season, and, and they're not even using him in the return game. So you're kind of like, why, why is this guy stuck here? And, and other teams could use, A, the special teams aspect he brings, but certainly the deep deep threat that he brings. Um, so I, I think those are all, all guys to look at. And I think you know, general manager George Payton at some point is going to have to say, you know, maybe we weren't – obviously we weren't the plug-and-play team that, that the Rams and the Bucks were when, when they traded for their quarterbacks in recent years. I've, I've got some work to do here. Uh, and, oh, oh, by the way, I've got a new ownership group looking closely at what I'm doing, so I, I may need to start stockpiling some draft capital uh, and make sure that this thing is turned around by, by 2023. Yeah, the Broncos' situation is one that is something that we all should keep an eye on because, you know, there's a report out from ESPN that said that uh, Nathaniel Hackett might be coaching with his job in the London game against the Jaguars this week, um, which is crazy to think about seven games into his coaching career as a head coach. Um, but we did talk about plenty of times in this podcast before about the Broncos sale this year to the uh, the Walmart family. And I believe the coach and the quarterback, both Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, were there already before the sale. Um, so sometimes you like, not that you like, but sometimes owners, when they you know, make a acquire a team or make a big deal. Sometimes they want decision making in regards to the coach, general manager, players on your roster. Um, I think they uh, uh, they're they're kind of locked into Russell Wilson because they gave him a huge deal. Um, but I'm not sure if they're locked into the GM and the coach. And so you trade any of these guys that you mentioned here, Nate, and you're kind of starting your rebuild over again. Um, but also you kind of have to figure out: Are the draft picks worth it? Are you further along than you think you are? I think the, the, the Broncos assumed they were going to uh, compete as early as this season, and unfortunately they have not. Yeah, and that's the big issue is, is you know, if they think they're in a rebuild, I mean, a lot of those draft picks are gone uh, because of the Russell Wilson deal. So uh, you're, you're really trying to fix it on the fly uh, with without first-round picks um, to get this fixed. So uh, like you said, we'll see what ownership does, but I think uh, I, I, but after signing the extension with Wilson, I mean, they're, they're locked into him for a while, so – um, if they get rid of Hackett, Peyton, they definitely got to find somebody that can make it work with Russell Wilson because he's going to be there. All right, Nate, we talked about some, well, mostly just the Broncos, really, uh, but some other teams that should be selling. Um, but I want to talk to you about teams that should be making a move. We already seen the 49ers make one, um, you know, and obviously the Rams lost out on Christian McCaffrey and have a running back situation of their own with Cam Makers. But um, what are some teams you think that really needs to make a move to solidify their push later on this season? Well, I think you can make an argument for a lot of teams in the NFC, just given, you know, I think we kind of touched on it, that I, I think the 49ers are going to be there. It's pretty clear that the Eagles and, and probably the Cowboys uh, are going to be there at the end. But that leaves a lot of room for, for clubs like, you know, I, you know, the Vikings and Giants are both one loss, but but they, they could certainly use, I think, help. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you'd like to see the Packers get another guy for, for Aaron Rodgers to throw to. It's not generally what – what their uh, their DNA is, but um, you know cl- clearly there are issues in that passing game, uh, and you know they're they're clearly not turning into a turn the turn around and hand the ball off to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon thirty five times a game. So um, they, they leave to mind, and, and then you know one other guy I, m- I mentioned, you know, in conjunction with this piece, I think the 49ers ought to look at getting 
a backup quarterback, um, just given that you know they are three and four. So, so the margin for error for them is, is reduced uh, a little bit. But you see guys like Carson Wentz um, and, and uh, Dak Prescott get hurt. You got to make sure you got a guy that can get you through, you know, four or five weeks uh, with a, with a you know intermediate injury like that. Uh, and their their backup quarterback is, is Brock Purdy right now, who's Mister Irrelevant from the twenty twenty two draft. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you know if you can get a Mason Rudolph or, or a guy like that to, to kind of just make sure that they can get you through a bad period. Um, I, I think that they, that they would be wise to to get an insurance policy to Jimmy Garoppolo, who was their insurance mm-hmm. policy. Yeah, that's. That's the point there. Yeah, they're already on their backup quarterback, so to speak, in San Fran. Um, I do like that idea. I do like that, that thought process as well because we've seen so many quarterbacks take a dive this year, whether it's, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Carson Wentz recently. Um, Russell Wilson missed the game recently. Tua Tagovailoa missed two games in three weeks. Um, there's a bunch of quarterbacks here. Zach Wilson missed the start of the season, and now his team's 5-2. and two. Um, For me, I think slowly but surely, as long as this schedule stays as long as it is, this is going to become a two quarterback league, uh, two quarterback per team kind of league versus you're just really trying to hope for a franchise guy and ride them out. Um, so going back to our conversation, a team that needs to move, I'm with you 1,000% on the Packers. Uh, they need to get a veteran receiver in there, uh, you know, working with rookies and also having some injuries for those guys. Um, hasn't panned out for Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers is 10, 15 years older than some of the guys he's throwing to. That's not working out well in this matter. Whereas we've seen, you know, Patrick Mahomes work with some veterans like Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Those moves have panned out a little bit better for the Chiefs versus the moves that the Packers have made to kind of support their uh, receiving group. I think Tampa Bay is going to be okay. They just need to get, uh, you know, Russell Gage and Julio Jones back in the mix. But uh, the Rams have to figure out something on offense. I don't know if it's another receiver. Um, I don't know if it's getting another running back. I mean, I think it is getting another running back, but they get, they're going to need something in that offense because Matt Stafford and uh, that that offense just leaves a lot to desire, a, a lot left to be desired after the Super Bowl. Run. They really need a left tackle, but th- those guys are hard to find. You know, anytime yeah. you're much less in the middle of the season. But, um, I was going to ask you too, Saf. One guy I had in the, on the list was, was Mike Mike Kosicki, Mike uh, and I, I couldn't fran- I couldn't really figure out why they franchised him to begin with. Just because to me he was never a fit in, in, in this offense, you know, and, and yeah, you know, at least as you look at it from Kyle Shanahan, you know, and, and Mike McDaniel bringing it over, but George Kittle blocks uh, a lot and well, you know, and Mike he mm-hmm. doesn't do that uh, at all, and he's hadn't played much. I think he's got averaging twenty eight yards a game, and he's, he's getting a little bit more looks in the passing game now. But if I were them, you know, a I'd get rid of the salary, but b I'd like to get a little bit back for him if, if I could deal him to a team. Like like Green Bay as as has been rumored because he's basically a plus size you know wide receiver so that yeah. to, to me that's just you know and after bringing in Tyree Kill you know his his lack of, of usage has gone down even more but I mean you, any thoughts mm-hmm. on that one? Yeah, definitely his usage is definitely going down more because he's blocking more than he should be blocking. Um, the coaches before that turned him into a slot receiver, which was great for the offense, but um, Mike McDaniel's offense needs a tight end to block. Um, I don't know if there's any way for them to bring in an extra lineman. You don't want to have six linemen on the field. You want the tight end to be able to block and go out and catch a pass if it's open. Um, but Kasiki's problem is blocking. Um, the thing is, the Dolphins don't have a tight end behind him that could really do much of both. You know, the, you might have a good blocking tight end. You might not have a good receiving tight end. Um, and Kasiki's a good receiving tight end, but not much of a blocking tight end. Um, I think they might ride it out with him for the rest of this year, but I definitely could see him walking in free agency. I'm not sure what you can get from him. He's a former second-round pick. Maybe you could swindle somebody into a you know, fourth-round pick, but I think he's probably a fifth or sixth in return. Um, you got to think about it, too. The Dolphins are also trying to be in the mix this year, too. So uh, letting any weapon go out the door is a bad look. But more than anything, if you're going to get a draft pick back, the draft pick's not going to help you this year. It's going to help you next year. Um, so that's kind of where I stand on the Kosicki one. And I think that's where a lot of these teams kind of stand in the mix here. We've seen the Jaguars take a six-round pick back for Robinson. We've seen the Panthers take back several picks for McCaffrey. I think those teams are a lot more defined in where they want to go. And I think there's a lot of teams this season, like the Browns, like the Broncos, uh, like the Saints, um, and maybe even Washington, who like can't really in, and Washington who can't really make up their mind and decide, hey, we're trying to compete this year, but we're not able to compete. And it's, it's kind of hard for those teams to kind of realize that they should either start to either really sell now or hang on and see what happens at the end of the season. And one of those decisions is definitely not going to 
pan out good for some of those teams. Yeah, I'm glad you said the Browns too. I mean, I think you know, perhaps the biggest name we might see move is, is just Kareem Hunt. You know, he tried to get out of mm-hmm. there uh, in, in training camp, and he's he's you know he's, he's playing for a new contract, and obviously you know you're only going to get so many reps. I mean, he gets a fair amount of reps, but I mean, I mean, when you're behind, behind Nick Chubb, you know, you're you're a little bit stuck. So, uh, but yeah. I mean, he's not the next coming of McCaffrey, but obviously you wouldn't have to pay pay that premium price to get a guy like him. But given he play, he can play every down. I mean, I think I think that's a guy that could help uh, a lot of teams if if you kind of come to an accord with the Browns. That you know, you're not you're not fleecing them, but you're not giving up too much yourself. But he could he could certainly help put somebody over the top. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the Rams, and I mean, they they were in on McCaffrey and they they didn't get it done. You think Kareem Hunt is the type of guy that they could use, particularly given that it seems like they're trying to trying to uh, go their separate ways with Cam Akers. Hey, if you're looking for NFL power rankings, looking forward to NFL picks every week and the latest on the NFL trade deadline, you can check out Nate Davis, our colleague at usatodaysports.com. Nate, thank you so much for joining us at Football Podcast. We always love having you, man. All right, guys, let's get into a favorite segment of mine, Tyler's Coaching Grades from the Week. Now, Tyler does all of his coaching grades, and you can read them on usatoday.com each and every week during the NFL season. Uh, Tyler, let's get into the grades this week. And you gave an A to a team we spoke about earlier, uh, the Carolina Panthers. Steve, Steve Wilkes, the interim coach there, replacing Matt Rule, got his first win over the former Super Bowl champion. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, P.J. Walker, the quarterback, earned himself another start. The Panthers are supposed to be in rebuild mode, but you gave the coaching staff an A, Tyler. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't a scheme thing. It wasn't, you know, the way the Panthers, you know, outplayed the Bucs. It was, I really was impressed with the way Steve Wilkes inspired his team, mm, an undermanned Panthers team without their best player, Christian McCaffrey, and they went out there and just played inspired football the entire game. And they played almost in over their heads almost because I saw it. You saw the way the Panthers looked against the Rams. They looked awful. And for mm-hmm. them to have that performance the following week, Without uh, Robbie Anderson, without a Christian McCaffrey, and for them yeah. to really beat the Bucks for all four quarters, it was really inspired football. So I gave them that. Tyler, I'm going to disagree with you all the way here, and I'm going to give the Panthers an F. An F? You're supposed to be lining up for the number one pick. Stop winning games, all right? The more games you win, Carolina, the least chance you're going to get a number one quarterback in the draft. You're supposed to be lining up for the top pick. This is why Matt Rule doesn't have a job anymore because he couldn't get a quarterback. Stop winning. Get your rebuild on track. In the Panthers' defense, they'll just do what the Miami Dolphins did. They won football <laughs> games and still got the player they won. You, you like how they did that, huh? You yeah, like but not, not every team could get a great quarterback like Tua Tagovailoa, top five QBR, top three touchdowns. You know, a what quarterback? Anyways, anyways, Tyler, let's move oh, on. Okay, yeah. uh, we got a big matchup in the NFC this week, Tyler. Huge matchup. We got the Giants visiting the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I didn't think this is going to be like – I think this could be like game, game of the week potential. Game of the week potential because the Bills are going to slaughter the Packers. I think you know that. But um, Giants and Seahawks. You gave the Seahawks an A for their win last week over the lowly Chargers. You gave the Giants a B. For their win last week. Obviously, I could get a B coach of the Jaguars against the Jaguars too, Tyler. Um, anyways, why did you give the Seahawks an A, Tyler? I really liked how they utilized their run game. They gashed the Chargers for over 200 yards on the ground. Kenneth Walker is a beast. That defense was playing well, intercepted Justin Herbert, your boy, uh, once, and really had Who? the Chargers uh, flustered on offense and took it to them on um you know, defense, I mean, an offense, too, with their uh, ground game. So that's why I gave the Seahawks an A for their performance in L.A., beating down the Chargers. And then who's the other team? Then we're messing the up. Giants. Messing, oh, the Giants. The Giants. Yeah, the, the Giants. So I gave the Giants a B. Same deal with the Chargers, almost, and the Seahawks. I really like how um, Brian Dayball 
is saying, okay, I know yeah. who my best player is. I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of receivers in the outside, so I want to give Saquon Barkley as many touches as possible. And did you see how he was making all these defenders miss for the Jacksonville? <laughs> it was like Jacksonville was diving uh, versus air. Like, what What are you guys doing? So mm-hmm. the Giants, it was the grade for week seven, but also it's a grade for the whole season. Because Brian Dayball, in my opinion, he might be the coach of the year. Um, and that's because he doesn't really have a talented roster but he Mm -hmm. is utilizing and highlighting the best players that he has and putting them in positions to succeed and that was evident last week i can't wait to see who wins this giants and seahawks game i think we're going to pick it later on in our picks tyler Um, but if you want to check out more of tyler's coaching grades each and every week check them out on usatoday.com welcome to boomer bust I'll say a statement, Tyler will say whether it's a boom or it's a bust, and I'll follow up and tell Tyler why he's wrong. Just kidding. Uh, Tyler, we got a great statement here. The Atlanta Falcons will finish above Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in the NFC South. Boom or bust for the Falcons? Bust. The Falcons have been playing over their heads. They have been playing pretty good, but bust. Uh, I'd also like to take a moment to yell at the Atlanta Falcons. What are you doing? You don't know who your quarterback is? That coach is going to get fired just like the Carolina coaches because you can't tank properly for the quarterback. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, these guys look real nice and pretty in college right now, Tyler. Stop winning games, Atlanta. You too, Carolina. All right, we got another boom and bust topic, and I like this one. Brian Dable is going to win coach of the year over Eagles coach Nick Sirianni. Boomer bust. Could I say a slight boom? A slight boom? <laughs> a, slight a slight boom? boom. Because okay, give it a slight boom. Nick Sirianni is, has the slight, the slimmest edge over Brian Dable right now. But if Nick mm. Sirianni loses a couple games later in the season, and even if the Eagles win the division, I will give coach of the year to Brian Dable. I'd have to agree with you there. I think Brian Dable's coaching job is a lot more. I think we didn't expect the Eagles to be undefeated, but we also did not expect the Giants to be in contention like this um, and above 500. I, I would give it to them. I'd say even Robert Sala should be in that mix as well. And it could even be Pete Carroll, depending on how the Seahawks uh, do for the rest of this year. The thing is, all these teams, Tyler, I'm not sure if they can really sustain what they've done. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure if any of these teams will be able to sustain what they've done. Uh, we got another boomer bust topic. And it's our last one, Tyler. The Eagles' unbeaten run will come to an end after their bye when they play the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. Boomer bust on the Eagles losing to Pittsburgh. What? To the Pittsburgh Steelers? The same Steelers team that lost to the terrible, overrated Miami Dolphins? Say it. Say it again. Say it again like I'm not here, Tyler. That Pittsburgh team? Come on. The Eagles are winning the battle of Pennsylvania. They're going to be 7-0. I think think Steelers might catch some interceptions this week, Tyler. What do you think? Um, They had four that they should have caught against (laughs) their boy Tua. And they did it. They did it. Tua got bailed out. Tua got bailed out. I'm glad you admit that. I'm glad you admit that. That's big for you, Stop it. That's big for you. At least somebody's bailing out, Tua. I don't know who's bailing out Justin Herbert. Everybody else hurt. Why why does everything lead back to Justin Herbert and the Chargers? I have no idea. Uh, You know what? I have no idea either. All right, let's get into this week's picks. We're coming here to the end of the podcast, which means it's the time to put both insiders on the record for what teams they're going to pick this week in our special five-game picks. And this week, we're going to start off on Thursday night with one team that we've talked about a lot and another one that's flown over under the radar this week. At 8.15 on Thursday, Ravens at the Buccaneers. Obviously, Buccaneers trying to bounce back from that 21 to 3 defeat uh, against the Panthers. Safed, are the Bucks going to come out with revenge or are the Ravens going to be the, able to glide to another win? Ooh, gliding to another win. Um, look, the Ravens have also been frustrating this year, Tyler. They're 4 and 3. They've had some really frustrating losses. 
but they haven't had anything as frustrating as the Buccaneers who suffered the last two weeks against Pittsburgh, against Carolina, both on the road. I'm not sure if the home cooking helps Tampa Bay here. I think all of their misfortune is going to come to light on Thursday Night Football. I'm taking Lamar Jackson and the the Ravens in this one. I'm really excited for this game. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have a top five rushing attack. And the Bucs, surprisingly, they've given up over 118 yards rushing a game. So I do have the Ravens winning this game and the Bucs keep on losing. The Bucks keep on losing. An interesting thing that we are hearing quite often this year. Let's move on to the Sunday game. We're looking at 1 p.m. Cardinals at Vikings. Now, the Cardinals have been up and down this year, a little unpredictable. And the Vikings are one of those surprising 5-1 and one teams with the extra rest having come off a bye week this week. Tyler, what do you see out of this game? The Cardinals did play a lot better with DeAndre Hopkins back. But he's not going to be the savior this week. I got the Vikings winning. They're the best team in the NFC South. Oh, NFC North. <laughs> Minnesota's really far from the South, Tyler. <laughs> really far from the NFC South. NFC South. Man, um, I'm messing up in this podcast. It's all good. Anybody could win the NFC South this yeah, year. That's true. They would be the best team in the <laughs> NFC South. The Vikings are so frustrating to me because they're 5-1. and one. They've got a soft schedule. Um, and every week they have no idea how they're going to win. Um, but to me, I'm still going to take that and what the Vikings have over the Cardinals. And I think we're still going to see Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury argue on the sidelines again. Can we predict that? I'm going to say yes, it happens. I don't think they're going to argue on the sidelines again. They have the same agent. They're going to make kumbaya. It's going to be fine. They're fine. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Let's move on to the 425 p.m. game against Two of Tyler's favorite teams, but we know we know how he feels. And the base better than that way. This is the San Francisco 49ers at the Rams. And a little interesting caveat. Obviously, we talked about Christian McCaffrey and the trade and the impact that he has. I thought a very funny, fun anecdote from that was that Sean McVay recalled his reaction to the trade saying, Oh, bleep, they're getting another great player. So what do we see out of this game? Safed the 49ers at the Rams this weekend. What's going to happen? The Rams are coming off a bye week, and I don't know if they figured out their offense. I hope Sean McVay took his week off, and instead of looking in the clouds, you know, he got his head into create some plays for Allen Robinson and the run game coming here. But, uh, look, the 49ers, they took a really bad loss against the Chiefs, and that was not on them. That was really more on how powerful the Chiefs are. But nobody loves playing the Rams more than the 49ers do. I'm rocking with San Francisco again. That's a smart pick, Soffit. The 49ers have owned the Rams in recent years, especially in the regular season. The Rams' Mm -hmm. offense leaves a lot to be desired, but I'm going to pick Aaron Donald and the Rams to beat. Wow. I'm going to pick them to beat the 49ers, even though the Rams have not looked good. The 49ers didn't look good either Mm. last week. They gave up a lot of points. And, yes, that is on their defense. Their defense is top five. But they don't look top five last week against the Chiefs. That's all good. They ain't gonna play. They ain't gonna play the Chiefs' offense. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> play my sound, producer Emily. Play my sound. Aaron Donald doesn't want to see me at center. I'll tell you that right now. Right now, play Tyler's sound again, please, because it's the it's the best one. And the bass better than that way. All right, time. all right. You get the sound right. twice twice a season. I love it, Tyler. Let's move on. Let's move on. We're gonna go to another four twenty five game on Sunday. The surprising, I'm going to keep saying it, call it strength of schedule or whatnot, the 6-1 and one Giants against the Seahawks who are rolling themselves. They've got back-to-back wins, including that win over the Chargers uh, last week. Tyler, what do you see from this game? I really like this matchup. It's a tough matchup to pick. You've got Saquon Barkley, Kenneth Walker, Geno Smith. Gino. I can't believe the way he, he's outperformed Russell Wilson. This year. Uh-huh. I got the Giants winning, though. I got the Giants Woo! winning another game up in Seattle. The 12th man's going to be, you know, really excited about this game. But I got the Giants winning. Hmm. Tyler, uh, you know what? I really wanted to pick Seattle. I really wanted pick to em. pick Seattle. Pick them. They're at home. Geno's playing well. Pick em. Kenneth Walker's running out of his mind. But they're not going to have DK Metcalf this week. 
He's dealing with a knee injury, and I don't like that for Seattle one bit. I'm going to have to go with the Giants here. The Giants only lost to the Cowboys, Tyler, and they might be 9-1 and before they play the uh, the Cowboys again. So it is soft schedule. Yeah. Producer Emily, the Giants have a very soft No Starbucks for you. <laughs> All right. Let's move on and wrap it up with the Monday night game. It's the Battle of Ohio, but the way that these teams have been forming, I don't know if it's quite battle level. It is the Bengals at the Browns. It's the three and excuse me, four and three Bengals. I'll give them a winning record against the two and five Browns. Safed, what's going to happen in this edition of the Battle of Ohio? <laughs> it's funny because we saw the Bengals start their season 0 2, saw the Browns start 2 and 1, and it's been like just completely flipped ever since. <laughs> right? uh, Jamar Chase and, and Joe Burrow with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins is going to get back in that mix too. But the, the Bengals offense got rolling the last two weeks, even against Cleveland. I like them big in Cleveland. I'm taking the Bengals, Tyler. Yeah, the Bengals offense has been balling the last two weeks. And don't miss out on that defense either. That defense has played very well too. The Cleveland Browns, they're not a good football team. We know this. I got the Bengals winning the Battle of Ohio. Still got a couple weeks before Deshaun Watson comes back. And trust me, we're going to talk about that plenty in the podcast too, Tyler. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for listening to another edition of It's a Football Podcast. I'm Savadine. That was Tyler Dragon and producer Emily. Uh, remember, guys, if you guys haven't already, please download the USA Today Sports Plus app in your Apple Store and in your Google Play. Remember, guys, we want you to fan harder with USA Today Sports. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. It's a football podcast. Find it now on the USA Today Sports Plus app, where the biggest fans fan harder. Saga.